Hello and welcome to the Litigation Podcast presented by Blackstone Chambers. Join our barristers as they discuss their expertise on trending topics and debates in the legal sector. If you want to be part of the discussion, subscribe below to receive our latest episodes. Hello and welcome to our final episode of the fraud series of the Blackstone Chambers Litigation Podcast, Search Orders in the Wake of TBD and Simons. I'm Leona Powell. I'm a senior junior in Blackstone's civil fraud team, and I've acted in a very wide range of serious civil fraud claims. The purpose of this talk is to discuss how to deal with applying for search orders in fraud cases in light of the decision of the Court of Appeal in TBD and Simons, and in particular, how to address the need for urgent inspection of documents in the wake of that case. The decision in TBD was handed down in September 2020, and it is an important one. It is the leading authority on computer imaging orders, and it is a big part of the reason for the brand new standard form computer imaging order, which finally appeared in the CPR on the 6th of April this year. On the facts, TBD is what I would describe as a classic employee competition case. TBD manufactured equipment to support the aviation industry, baggage trolleys and the like. Mr. Simons left TBD and went to work for a competitor, G2A. Mr. Simons and G2A did all the usual naughty stuff. They used TBD's client databases, copyright drawings, and even some photos of TBD's own products to divert business away from TBD and into the waiting arms of G2A. TBD obtained an on-notice injunction to stop their misconduct. However, shortly thereafter, TBD got wind that Mr. Simons and G2A were breaching the terms of that injunction. And on the back of that, it obtained an ex parte search order against both Mr. Simons and G2A. It is important to note that in its evidence, TBD's main justification for needing the search order was the preservation of evidence of the substantial wrongdoing, which would be relevant at trial and I'll come to the significance of that shortly. The search order was granted, and it provided for both wholesale computer imaging and a full physical raid. It is fair to say that the orders granted were quite heavy-handed and widely drafted. But the problems really arose because of what then happened to the seized computer images. After the execution of the search order, solicitors acting for TBD attempted to agree search terms with the defendants. For one reason or another, G2A was largely unresponsive. Mr. Simons, on the other hand, presented various objections to the proposed search terms. Nonetheless, TBD solicitors just instructed the computer experts to conduct searches anyway, using over 96 different search terms. They did it without the defendants or the defendant solicitors or a supervising solicitor being present over 150,000 documents were searched, including some documents which were later accepted to be legally privileged. In the Court of Appeal, Lord Justice Arnold was singularly unimpressed. He made a number of important findings affecting search orders, my top three of which are. Number one, if a computer imaging order is made, there should be an automatic presumption that a physical search is unnecessary 
unless there is specific good reason to show that a physical search is also needed. Moreover, if a physical search is also ordered, the scope of that search must be considered carefully in light of the scope of the imaging order. Number two, where an imaging order is made, the presumption is that the purpose of that order is to preserve evidence for trial. The purpose is specifically not to enable the claimant to get standard disclosure early, and still less to enable an applicant to get disclosure on some kind of do-it-yourself basis. Number three, there should be no automatic right to an immediate inspection of seized material, except, of course, for the purpose of actually identifying material that is subject to the order. Lord Justice Arnold also remarked that a standard form of computer imaging order should be prepared as a matter of urgency. That has now been done, and it was published as part of the forms annexed to the CPR in April of this year. The new standard form addresses the third point made by Lord Justice Arnold. It essentially provides for the respondent to give a computer expert effective access to all electronic data storage devices and all online accounts for the purpose of taking two electronic copies. Those copies are then to be held by the computer expert subject to the order of the court. The standard form now specifically provides that the applicant is not permitted to inspect the copies without the permission of the court. So, how is all this best dealt with in a fraud case when addressing a judge who is looking with some concern at the decision in TBD and a standard form which makes no provision for inspection of seized documents? Well, I think the first and most important point to be made and to be addressed very clearly to the judge in any application is that most fraud cases are very unlike TBD and Simons in that, although the search order is of course very likely to be critical in terms of preserving evidence on the merits, there is also a wholly separate jurisdictional basis for the grant of the search order. In serious fraud cases, search orders are typically made in part as part of the jurisdiction ancillary to the granting of a freezing order. That was no part of the narrative in TBD and Simons, but it is an essential aspect of serious fraud cases. The key point is this. Defendants in these kinds of cases cannot be relied upon to give honest disclosure of their assets, and so the court's full powers are usually needed to ensure that there is real compliance. A, the search will almost always involve, at its heart, a search for asset documents, so that relevant assets, and in particular offshore or unconventional assets, can be identified and frozen. B, there is also a significant additional chilling effect to the freezer, no pun intended, in that where a search order is granted, a defendant will know that if he does not give honest disclosure of assets, he's highly likely to get busted further down the line. Further still, in many fraud cases, there will be a proprietary claim to assets, and so the search order will be ancillary not only to a standard freezing order, but also an ancillary aid to the identification and location of misappropriated trust assets. This point is key because it explains why, very often, quite aside from specific evidence that substantively relevant paper documents might exist, it will be essential to conduct a physical search in addition to an imaging order in order to find asset documents. People invariably keep paper records relating to assets, bank statements, DVLA documents, shareholding records, investment agreements and the like. Secondly, the distinction between true fraud cases 
and employee competition cases also explains why very speedy searching of seized material is justifiable. Fraud cases often inherently involve a race to find and secure assets before a defendant can put them out of reach. They also often involve an immediate and critical investigation to identify other wrongdoers and the scope of the wrongdoing. In those circumstances, there can be no question of having to wait for the date of standard disclosure before looking at seized material. Time is of the essence. I think a really crucial takeaway from all of this is that it pays to think really carefully about the detail and mechanics of the draft search order, especially in relation to listed items and how they are to be dealt with. In practice, we all know, a lot of time and mental energy is used up preparing the substantive evidence to justify the orders being sought. But in my experience, it really pays to take time to be very geeky about the precise terms of the order being sought. In particular, for example, A, making sure that the detail of how the sequencing of events will work in practice has been properly worked through. B, carefully considering what safeguards can be built in to protect a defendant from wrongful intrusions, in particular in relation to privileged material. C, thinking really meticulously about what the listed items should be to make sure that you capture what is needed and to exclude what is not needed. And D, distinguishing between listed items, which are really just documents that you want preserved in anticipation of trial, as opposed to listed items which you need to see urgently because they relate to assets or uncovering serious further wrongdoing. This last distinction is, I think, the real key to getting a court comfortable with ordering immediate disclosure. It is very effective to create a carefully defined subset of listed items that need to be treated differently from the general hall of seized materials. Just as a footnote, I think the new standard form imaging order is an interesting document. It is very widely drafted in terms of the effective capture of material. However, it says nothing at all about what is then to happen to imaged material, except to say that it is to be held subject to the order of the court. Accordingly, the onus remains entirely upon applicants to propose an appropriate regime for the handling of seized material. I hope that this talk has provided some useful thoughts on how to approach that issue. I'm Leona Powell from Blackstone Chambers. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Litigation Podcast presented by Blackstone Chambers. Subscribe below to receive our latest episodes and visit blackstonechambers.com to learn more.